My name is Pablo Andrei. I am a PhD student from Zaragoza University, Spain. In this video, I want to discuss the nature of the patient-doctor relationship, focusing primarily on what makes an ill person a patient. This is part of a broader research that focuses on the impossibility of medicine to understand the phenomenon of death, and a rereading of said phenomenon within Paul Landsberg's notion of ontological infidelity. In this video, I will follow the tale of Adriana, a 30-year-old cancer fighter that got diagnosed bilateral breast cancer on stage 3 when she was 27 years old. I will do so in the hope of illustrating George Canguillen's critique of medicine as an endeavor to become a science of disease, and what does this endeavor do to the ill person and his or her illness experience. Overall, what I want to discuss is what it is the essence of being a patient and what can phenomenology bring to the medical encounter to improve it? So the first question we need to ask is what does it mean for medicine to become a science of disease? To be able to answer this, we need to look at how Kangiems understand what the phenomenon of health and disease respectively are. And the first thing he asked us to do is to get rid of the idea that health and disease are abstract concepts. This is Health and disease are not merely descriptions of how one feels, rather, they are modes of feeling, or to say in his own words, ways of life. Now, even this loose definition of both phenomena is indicating of what Kangian will focuses, relation. Kangian takes health and disease to be the different states of being that a living organism that is already in the world can be. By doing this, he refers the term normal as the outcome of this living relation between the living being and its immediate environment. In his own words, neither the living being nor the milieu can be called normal if we consider them separately. Only by considering them in relation can we maintain the guiding thread without which we would necessarily have to treat as abnormal, this is to say pathological, every anomaly individual. In its essence, what is at stake here is the ontological structure of being in the world, to which I will turn later on when we discuss the nature of patients. But what I want to highlight now is that, by ways of life, Kangian grants the living being a sense of agency that gets somewhat diminished when said organism enters in a relation with its milieu that can be called pathological. This difference is what lies at the bottom of what Kangian calls normativity and normalized. According to Kangian, normativity is an aspect of a life as a polarizing phenomenon. When a living being is normative, that is, that it has the ability to establish norms and ways of life in different circumstances, we say it's healthy. On the contrary, when a living being has lost its normative capacity and is regulated by a fixed norm that cannot be altered, we say it's pathological. The relation between a living organism and its media is so intrinsic to its being that by extrapolating the individual from its environment we immediately override the difference between health and disease. But does this definition of the phenomena throw health and disease to an absolute relativism? No. Kangian says we must in no way encourage the physician to nullify the distinction between the normal and the pathological. Hence, he does not evaluate the concept of disease according to every single organism that presents a malady. On the contrary, 
He derives the definition of the phenomenon from a concept of health understood as the state in which an organism is not normal, but normative. Consequently, the pathological cannot be seen in a vacuum. However, medicine has increasingly ignored this aspect of life in favor of an approach to living being epistemically mediated by a scientific paradigm molded in the mind-body dichotomy and its consequent mechanistic understanding of life. The scientific ideal of objectivity, whose progress, as Kangian says, is due in part to putting the patient between brackets, forces medics to distance themselves from their own subjectivity, progressively relying more and more on technology, and so also denying the patient's subjectivity. As Eric Castle says, the specific effect of technology has been to maintain the focus of doctors on the object of the technology and on the value of that technology rather than on the person. From this, it follows a depersonalization of the medical encounter that runs in a double direction. It affects the ill person, devaluating his or her unique experience of the disease, and it modifies the status of the doctor as to a mere tool of the scientific knowledge. As a result, Due to the progressive growth of medicine as a purely scientific and technological endeavor, medical praxis loses its original aim, the care for the patient. Or, as Castle's sentence, the problem is not only that medicine is not a science, but that it only uses science. With this in mind, I will now turn to the tale of Adriana to illustrate these ideas. When she was 27 years old, Adriana got diagnosed bilateral breast cancer on stage 3. After four times, she had to come back to her GP for her to agree on referring Adriana to run a biopsy. When she was still 26, she noticed alarm in her left breast and went to her GP to ask for the possibility of running a diagnostic mammogram. The GP dismissed her, claiming that lipomas, this is lumps of fat, were very normal at her age. A few weeks later, Adriana returns because in a fortnight, her face was covered with pimples. The GP said it was acne, and after running a blood test, she explained Adriana that her hormones were upside down, to which she subscribed a hormonal treatment. Within a month, Adriana had to come back to her GP because she had noticed a considerable growth of the lump, which had started hurting, plus a new lump on her right breast that had appeared. On this occasion, the GP agrees to run a mammogram, not without stating that due to her age it was somewhat nonsense. The results informed that it was indeed a lipoma and was advised not to do anything. In the meantime, the acne got even worse than before. The GP explained that it was the normal course of the treatment and that it had to get worse before it could get better. In January 2017, this is not four months after the mammogram, Adriana came back to her GP, this time to ask for the right breast lump be removed. According to her, its size had grown a lot, it hurt too much, and she had started fearing for her health. Once again, the GP dismissed her, saying that if we were up to remove everything, we would end up not having anything but she agreed on to run a second mammogram. But since it had been less than four months since the last one, the specialist opted to have an ultrasound instead. 
On seeing the images, however, he advised Adriana to run a biopsy, which she did, not without being told that, due to her age, it was impossible for her to suffer anything dangerous. And still, two weeks later, while she was at her workplace, she received an email with a file attached. It was the result of the biopsy, from which, through all the scientific jargon, Adriana understood she had cancer. In the same day, Adriana learned that for the next six years, she would suffer a forced menopause because the cancer was feeding on hormones, and that in the first year, she would have to go through chemotherapy, total mastectomy, and radiotherapy. After those six years of treatment had passed, Adriana would be discharged, which is to say she would be cured. What I want to drag from Adriana's tale is the key aspects of Kang Yen's critique of medicine in its endeavor to become a science of disease. As we can see, two seems to have been the main reasons why she was unable to get a newly diagnosis. One is her age, two is the proper procedure of medical practice. In the case of Adriana's age, it's easy to see that it's not really how old she was what was playing against her, but the variety of knowledge held by the different specialists that justified their belief that no one so young could suffer from bilateral breast cancer on stage 3. In the case of the procedure, it's rather not the medical practice per se, but that it is solely led by the technology available. Castle informs that one of the most important heritage of modern disease theory is that to be acceptable to doctors, a diagnosis must meet certain standards. Criteria for diagnosis to be useful must include the majority of instances of a disease, what he calls true positives, and exclude the majority of instances where no disease is present, this is true negatives. In itself, this is not something bad. On the contrary, it prevents episodes of malapraxis and the medical error. But it has side effects though. The most important is that it submits the patient's reality of the disease to the specific tempo of the test. If there is indeed a disease, it has to evolve enough for the test to be able to grasp those true positives and rule out those true negatives Castle talks about. Finally, the other aspect that I want to highlight from Adriana's tale is the meaning of sending the result of a biopsy with breast cancer read on it as a file attached because isn't this the ultimate proof of the depersonalization of medicine? Not only it dismisses the importance of the to-be-patient to be told what she's up against, it also devaluates the fever of the doctor as someone worthy of communicating what is wrong with the ill person. In other words, the patient's reality as a person is neglected in the same way that the specialist authority is negated by not considering it necessary for him or her to be the ones to personally inform the patient of the situation. Now, I don't want to suggest the idea that Adriana already knew she had cancer from the moment she first noticed a lump in her breast, nor that the medics did all wrong. The point to focus here is that Adriana had a certain knowledge of herself that, as we will see, is ultimately untranslatable to the kind of language medicine solely used to make sense of diseases and patients, and that by this, the whole relationship between doctors and patients gets alienated. In other words, that the very idea of medical encounter is based on an idea of passivity intrinsic to the essence of the patient. To make sense of this passivity, 
we need to turn to the structure of being in the world. Frederick Svenius has drawn from Heidegger's existential analysis in Being on Time a definition of illness as an uncanny, unhome-like experience. According to Heidegger, to exist means being in the world, which, roughly put it, means that we are thrown into the world, pushed there to exist, and of and from these opponents to carry the burden of having to be. In this sense, being in the world is a unitary ontological structure. This is existence, is to be in the world, and being in the world is to exist. It also means that what constitutes being in the world also deploys it. Or, to put it in other words, of being in the world is not possible a fixed and steady concept. Rather, it is a dynamic process that is and develops existence. This very same reason is what Svenius drags to explain health as an active process, a balancing, not only a feeling in the normal sense, but an active background, attunement that offers the possibility of a kind of direct attention. What is important to keep in mind here is that this idea of a background attunement presupposes a pre-understanding that permits the kind of direct attention. The agency of existence is and is deployed by that which constitutes the structure of being in the world, namely the existentials, attunement, understanding, and discourse. Quite literally, attunement attunes existence, colors it, shapes it. It opens existence to its being delivered to the world in an understanding existence. This understanding, on the other hand, is not referred to something but to some way. This is, what understanding comprehends are possibilities of being. Existence potentiality of fulfillment. If attunement discloses the being in the world with a specific color, understanding does so as a being possible. Existence potentiality of being is a thrown potentiality grounded in the world, namely attuned. Discourse on its part articulates this attuned understanding making sense of this throne potentiality of being within the background of meaning that belongs to the world. Broadly speaking, this is what Svenius considers to be a home-like experience of existence. On the other hand, this resistance illness opens is a unique and untransferable experience of life as not being at home in the world. And this is a key element for the analysis, because at the same time it addresses the importance of the subjective experience, it also highlights its impossibility of translation into an objective language, that of the doctors. As a tuned understanding, the unhome-like experience of illness speaks with a discourse to which there are no words, suffering. As Venus claimed, it is hard to find words to express what is going on through pain. And the lack of language one can trust to make sense of one's experience ultimately leads to a lack of self-understanding. This self-understanding, though, must not be confused with the existential understanding. On the contrary, this existential understanding is always there, and when it seems to be more lacking is where more present it is. That is why Irene Madjar says when patients describe their pain, they are trying to communicate the painfulness of their pain. Their words call to others to feel something of what they feel. What I want to highlight of Svenius' reasoning of illness is 
as an unhomelike experience is that at no moment the agency of existence is dismissed. On the contrary, as a background attunement, illness presents its own understanding. This is what it means for disease to be, in Kangian's words, a new way of life. And in the case of Adriana, we can say that it's not that she has cancer, but that she is her cancer. Or to use a more Heideggerian formula, she is in cancer. But then again, how is this unhomelike agency, yet agency nonetheless, diminished in the clinic? To see this, we need to consider the body, as Venus does, as a fourth existential. My body, he says, is not just a tool that I use or a dwelling I lived in. This is the basic mistake of dualism. It is me. I am my own body. Therefore, the body cannot be separated from the ontological structure of being in the world without alienating the structure itself. And yet, doesn't medicine base its scientific work on the mind-body dichotomy? By considering the human body merely as a machine, medicine has made of death the essence of life. In Hans Jonas' words, we could say that the practice is circumscribed within an ontological dominance of death. But by placing death in the epicenter of the medical practice, the encounter between the patient and the doctor is the fall of the former in nothingness. The passivity of the patient is rather its being in nothingness. For example, when Adriana went to her last meeting with her genetist, who would explain the result of her generic analysis, she declared herself unable to speak. In fact, she says that it was her boyfriend who did all the talking because at a certain point she lost any ability to talk. Now, Heidegger understands silence as an existential possibility of discourse. He specifically says that in talking with one another, the person who is silent can let something be understood. That is, he can develop an understanding more authentically than the person who never runs out of words. And still, we can see that this is not the case for Adriana. Adriana does not quiet because she wants to convey meaning. She mutes because she can't speak, because she can't listen, and ultimately because she can't understand. As Heidegger explains, only he who already understands is able to listen. The passivity of the patient is then a deficient being in the world that is actually a sort of being in nothingness. In her doing as a patient is a second-order kind of agency, since he or she follows the command of the specialist on the subject. At all moments, Adriana and every other patient is told what to do to get cured. Now the question is whether this passivity can be somehow changed. By understanding disease not as something had but as some way one is, the patient could regain its role as a character in her own doing. By an approach to medicine in hermeneutical terms, this is respectful of the subjective experience of disease, the medical encounter could open the space for a dialogue that would ground the ill person, his or her main role as the contender of the disease, not from an alien sphere, but from the very experience of illness. Thank you very much.